0: Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon.
1: My name is Zach, and today I have the honor and privilege of presenting you with the scripture. So if you will turn with me to 1 John 1. And we we'll are be reading verses 5 through 9. And then also, save a little spot in 1 John 5, and we'll be reading verse 14. So I'll give you a sec to turn there if you want. All right, here we go. <laughs> this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we'll turn over to chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Thank you. Thank you, Man, And what was worship fire this morning
0: or what, man? Enjoy, man? Wow. God's doing some amazing things. As you walk in here, you, you guys got some cups, right? Some uh, little cup cup holders. That's awesome. We're getting fancy here at Freedom Church. And here, here's, the, here's the good news. Next week, our coffee bar is opening. How awesome is that? So... Don't go to Starbucks or Dutch Bros. Come here. And here's the reality. All the money from the Frappuccinos will go to missions. All the proceeds go to missions. So it's way better to pad that pocket of our missionaries than maybe going out there and put it in the hands of people from Starbucks. And pray this week, like I shared earlier. We're praying to close on the property. Man, which to be amazing either Monday or Tuesday. And that'll be awesome so we can start praying and planning because we can see even in spring break, we're full and we're getting ready to possibly start thinking what the Lord has for our next building to add on to this campus. So we're thankful for how God is moving and what He's doing. Man, I heard a joke the other day about an Uber driver and a preacher. I don't know why preachers always have to be in a joke. But the. But the Uber driver dies and makes it, both the preacher and the Uber driver die. The Uber driver gets to the pearly gates first. St. Peter looks him up on the big book, and he lets him in. He says, your name is in here. And he says, before you get in, we want you to get around in heaven. And he drops him the keys of a brand-new Ferrari. The preacher is in line right behind him. He's thinking, man, I've given my whole life to preach the word. I've studied the Bible. If he gets a Ferrari, I wonder what I'm going to get. Well, the, he, the, the, he goes to St. Peter. St. Peter looks him up in the big book. He finds his name and he says, hey, before you get into heaven, won't you just go down there? There's a pile of skateboards. Pick up a skateboard and skate around in heaven. The preacher's shocked. Man, I'm a man in the cloth. I've dedicated my whole life to preaching the Word. Why does he get a Ferrari and why do I get a skateboard? St. Peter looks at him and says this. You know, heaven's all about results, buddy. When he drove, people prayed. When you preached, people slept. You know? Maybe I need to change my profession. But the reality is all of us will one day die and stand before God. And we're gonna answer the question, where will we spend eternity? That's kind of a big question to answer, right? Like, do, do we know where we're gonna go when we die? And, and this morning, as we continue our series in 1 John, John will tell us how we can be sure of our salvation. The book of 1 John is one of my favorite books, books because it's all about evidence and separating fact from fiction. Last week, we saw that Jesus made, uh, John made an incredible statement about Jesus, that he's the eternal God. And then he gave testimony and evidence why that indeed was true. And this week, we're going to look at the evidence in a believer's life to see if somebody is truly saved. If you're new to church culture, the word saved is a word that you might have not heard before. But the word saved means that you're at peace with God, that you and God are cool, that everything's good with you and God. And that's kind of a question that I've struggled with my entire life growing up. I I remember being a kid and my grandma would invite me to her church and they'd show all these movies about the end times. I remember some of those movies, they kind of like just scared the heck out of you, or literally scared the double H-E, double hockey sticks out of you. Remember, there was a a movie called uh, Thief in the Night. How many of you guys old school, man, remember Thief in the Night? And then some of you guys that are a little bit younger, remember, Left Behind movies. Remember those Left Behind movies? We'd go down there, and then you'd watch these Left Behind movies, and you're like, unless you are saved, when Jesus comes in the rapture, then you're going to be left behind, and you are going to face the judgment of the earth. And, And that movie messed up my head. Because I would always think I missed the rapture. Like I would come home from school. I couldn't find my parents. Oh, Lord, I'm not really saved. Or I'd call home and nobody answered. Oh, Lord, I, I missed the rapture. I'm not really saved. So, so going growing up, because of those movies, I really wanted to make sure I was saved saved. So from the yeah, dub, double, triple saved, all those saves. So I remember from the time I went to VBS as a kid, until the time I was 15 years old, I was constantly getting saved. I, I probably hold the Guinness Book world record for amount of times being saved. How many of you guys say your name's probably in the Guinness Book of world record for amount of times being saved as well? Like every time the preacher preached, he gave a chance to accept Jesus. I raised my hand. Like I've been saved in three different states. On every day of the week. In front of a TV after Billy Graham preached. Like I just wanted to make sure I was saved. Comedian Michael Jr. does this really funny bit of people that are oversaved. Maybe you're oversaved this morning. Check this out.
2: Because you got different types of Christians. This is what I found out. You got Christians who are cool. You can hang around with them. Iron sharpens iron relationships, right? Then you got Christians who may have a little limp in their walk. They got the hat on, but the shoes don't match. Then you got Christians who I'm just gonna put this out there. You ever know somebody that was oversaved? Don't look at them, don't look at them. You can't even have a regular conversation with him. He's like, hey man, I'm thirsty. You thirsty? Thirsty for the Lord. Thirsty for the Lord? Hey, I lost my keys. Could you help me find my keys? You need the keys to the kingdom i like, yeah, I didn't drive a kingdom. Yeah. I drove a Toyota. I know as soon as I said oversave, some of y'all had somebody in mind, but if you didn't, somebody had you in mind. You could be oversaved. You ain't know it. Now I got to let you know that you oversaved. A couple indicators to let you know you oversave. Just a couple indicators. Um, if you don't mess around with computers because it got a cursor... Sorry. If you rebuke vacuum cleaners, because it's a dirt devil. I got an aunt that's oversaved. She messes up television shows for us. We're watching Extreme Makeover, Home Edition. At the beginning of the show, they always tell you the sad story about the people. My aunt's going to start praying for them. Lord, help them get a new house, Lord. Just... They're going to get a new house. They're going to get a new house. She's like, yes, you got to believe. I'm like, no, you got to have cable is what you got to do. Like,
0: Man, so many times we can be oversaved, can we? Or can't we? But how can we really know? Seriously, how can we really know if we're saved or not? I struggled with this for years. And I don't think I'm the only one. I guarantee that there are people in this room this morning that are struggling with the very same thing. You want to know for sure if you're saved, but you can't really figure it out. No matter how many times you pray the sinner's prayer, doubts come back. You're always answering asking questions like this: Was I sorry enough for my sin? Did I repent enough? Did I understand grace enough? How do I really know if that prayer worked? Did I feel bad enough? Was I emotional enough? According to a recent Barna study, this is what it says, shocking, 51% of Americans have said a sinner's prayer, even though they have no regular attendance in church and their lifestyle and worldview doesn't line up with Christianity at all. And one of the challenges is we've reduced being saved sometimes to a prayer that's not even biblical. Biblical. Most people hear that they need to be saved, and they think like this, oh, I've been there, done that. I have even car to prove it. My grandma even gave me that. But the Bible teaches us this, that there's a lot of people who have said a religious prayer and are involved in religious activity, and they think they're going to heaven, but they're not. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells us there's a large group of people headed into eternity, assured of a salvation that they don't actually possess. And on judgment day, they'll say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. There are several things that people want to assure themselves of their salvation that aren't legitimately what the Bible teaches. Some people think that going to church makes you a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I go to the gym all the time. I'm not, doesn't look like I'm fit, right? It just doesn't work. Sometimes people think this, that praying some sort of magical prayer makes somebody a Christian. The preacher will get up there, and I've done this sometimes, and they say, man, pray this prayer after me, and that makes him a Christian. Let me just say something that might be controversial. Prayers don't save us. We are saved when we repent and we believe in Jesus. You can can express that repentance and faith when you pray, but saying a prayer doesn't save you. It's the repentance and faith behind that prayer. Sometimes people think that they're Christians because they're moral or they're good people or they'll feel guilty when they do wrong. But being a good person doesn't mean you're saved or feeling guilty for doing wrong things doesn't mean that you're saved. And this morning, we're going to identify the evidence and the life of someone who's truly saved. This might be the most important message you've ever heard. The goal of this message is to comfort those who are unnecessarily troubled about their salvation but at the same time, is to trouble those who are unjustifiably comforted about our salvation that they probably do not possess. And as we continue our steer- series in the first John, this morning we're going to the last chapter. Remember I told you last week that John is all over the place in his letter. And we will start in the last chapter, and then we'll come back to chapter 1 because he goes here and there, and we'll tie in the whole message together. And I pray that God speaks to us. So let's go before let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, I pray this. God, I pray that you bring assurance to salvation, that your word would come alive and speak to us. Lord, I pray that grace would come alive and love would come alive, but also truth, because you're God of truth and you're God of grace. Speak to us, Lord. Amen. This one verse in John chapter 5, verse 13, summarizes the whole book. I remember the first time I read this verse, it was so, so, so good. It changed the way I viewed faith in my walk with God. It's the key verse in the entire book of 1 John. 1 John 5, 13 says this, I write these things to you. The reason I write these things to you is to believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The reason he wrote this book, Here's one of the most powerful truths you'll ever learn. That God wants us to be assured of heaven and his love for us. He does. That's why John wrote this letter. He doesn't want us to walk around with a panic attack, always thinking that we're not in right standing with God. Christianity is not a fear-based religion where God is dangling a carrot in front of us, saying, you better act right, you better act right. Remember that old show, The Apprentice with Donald Trump, way back in the day? See, God's not like Donald Trump going to call you into the boardroom and look at your thing and say, You're fired! And you're just always going to be afraid. God wants you to know that He loves you. And the only way that you'll ever develop a deep love for God is to be sure of His love for you. True love only grows out of security. When you make someone behave by threatening them, you might cohere their behavior, but you'll never capture their hearts. God is not about changing behavior. God wants to change your heart. Love for God in you grows from the assurance of the love of God for you. And the apostle John wrote an analogy that he got from Jesus that Jesus used to communicate to the disciples before he left the earth about his assurance of the love of God for them. And it's in John 14. Jesus called his disciples his bride. No man who is married or engaged wants his bride to feel like he's not committed to her. So Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 3, is kind of, John is, John is repeating what Jesus said to his disciples. and This is what John fourteen three says this. If I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is wedding language. When Jennifer and I got married, she was still a student at Southwestern Assemblies of God University, and I took a youth pastor position in northern New Mexico 12 hours away. And I wanted to make sure that she knew that I loved her. So I wrote her letters. I called her. I put a big, fat rock on her finger to let her know that I loved her. And she and I both know if I didn't come back and marry her, she was taking that rock. I wanted her to be secure because I knew if she wasn't secure, she would be open to the advances of another man. But if she knew that she had the awesome sauce of what they called me the Latin stallion back in the day... Why would she ever go anywhere else? And that's how God works with us. He knows we can never say no to the world unless we're assured of his love for us. The established church in Martin Luther, the reformers day, believed that people would only obey God if they threatened them with harsh consequences for their rebellion against God. Martin Luther called this the damnable doctrine of doubt. This is what birthed the whole Reformation was birthed out of. Luther said this, that fear of judgment only produces a surface level of obedience. Underneath that thin veneer of obedience will rush a river of fear, pride, self-interest. And the only way to develop a real love for God is to have that fear removed. Luther is quoting 1 John 4 18 that there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. God's love and acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin not the reward for liberating ourselves. And if you're struggling with your walk with God, if there's a sin that you can't break, if there's a habit that's holding you back, you don't need more sermons. You don't need more self-disciplines. You don't need more laws. You need to be amazed and stunned awe of the gospel of the God who loves you so much. Because it's God's love is the seedbed for all the spiritual growth in your life. Like, Like Pete Benito, like, are you telling me, you go into that controversial place, do you believe in eternal security? You believe in eternal security. So here's my answer to that question I do for me, but not for you. Paul says to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. That God works in you. Here's what I do know that I am capable of every sin. I could be in 6th Street doing crazy things tomorrow. Because I'm capable of any sin that there is. But here's what I do know. I know the love of God has so overwhelmed me and captivated me and got a hold of me that He wouldn't let me there, that I would be so uncomfortable in my sin and the disgustiness that I couldn't even live there for a week or two, that I would have to repent. I'm capable of every sin. But the love of God has so gripped my heart that I know that I can't stay in sin anymore because Jesus loves me. And how can I do that to Him? And God wants you to know that you're saved. But here's an important question. How can we know that we're really saved? John throughout his letter. That's what he does. He gives us signs and evidence in the life of a believer that they've experienced true salvation. I want you to look with me at the key verse, verse 13 again. I write these things to you who underline that word, who believe. That means not just the cognitive. That means putting your life, your trust in something. Giving everything to, in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. How do I know I'm saved? First thing, or I'm going to give you four evidences. I place my hopes for heaven entirely on Jesus. John says if you believe in the name of the Son of God. Believe in the name of the Son of God means to rest in the account of. Think about about it like this. That somebody invited you to Fiji in an incredible resort. Their private gym they put you in the most expensive lavish spa resort there you're like man if i put my card down it's going to bounce like crazy so if you go into that resort you would say i'm here in the name of so and so you wouldn't put your card down because you're trusting your stay in the resort not on your bank account but their bank account you say don't charge my card please don't charge this it's just for incidentals let me show you cover the incidentals but put it on mr so and so's card When you believe in the name of the Son of God, you aren't trying to earn heaven by your good deeds, church attendance, or moral bank account. See, all your hopes of entering heaven is not on your performance, but what Jesus did on the cross. When I ask somebody, are you a Christian? The number one response I get is, I'm trying... I'm doing better. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible now. I'm trying. When somebody says that, I understand that they have never experienced the gospel because they're still thinking that Christianity is a title that you live up to. But here's what it means to be a Christian. Christian is not something that we earn, but it's a title that Jesus earned for us. Our faith is in Christ alone. John said it like this in his letter in 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the question Is your hope for salvation in heaven resting on Jesus alone? Let me say something. It's not a past prayer that saves you, but it's a present posture of trusting in Jesus. That's what it it means. It's like this chair. I am trusting that this chair is going to hold me up. I'm putting it in, I'm resting in this chair. And this is what salvation is. It's constantly resting in what Jesus did. The moment we get out of there, this is what it means to be saved. I'm holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to me. And as I'm resting in what Christ has done, I am saved. It's constantly doing in this place. As long as I'm trusting, as long as I'm hoping, as long as I'm believing the foundation that Christ said, I can be assured of my salvation. The moment I try to get out and stand on my own, I realize that it is not me trusting in Jesus ever again. The second way that you can know that we're saved, that John gives us, is found in 1 John five eighteen. He says, we know that everyone has been born of God, does not keep on sinning. Wow. But he who's been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Here's what we learn: If you're saved, you have a new nature. When we trust in Jesus, he gives us a new nature with new desires. You don't stop sinning because you're scared of threats, but because you have a new desire and new appetites. So I've told you this before. Being a Christian is not about doing the right things. It's about desiring the right things. Let me give you an example. This is the youth pastor and me coming out. Imagine in front of the stage is a huge pile of vomit. Just gross, still hot, smelly, just right in the front. I am you to kind of get you in there. I would not have to threaten you and say, hey, please don't come here and lick it up. Please don't eat it. I will not have to get security around just to watch and make sure people don't uh, lick the I mean, unless you're a dog. Because if you're a dog, you're going to say, oh, nice, yummy, look at this cool uh, half-chewed hot dog. That tastes good to me. That's the nature of a dog. See, God doesn't change us through threats. He changes us by giving us a desire and an appetite for different things. And one of the signs that the Spirit of God lives in you is old things that you used to do you find disgusting things like hatefulness pride greed lust dishonesty just don't become wrong to you they become disgusting to you you look at the old habits and the old way of life and you're like man you're disgusting. I can't believe I did that I can't believe I acted like that I can't believe I said that I can't even believe I was that same person let me just say this We'll still struggle with sin because we still have a sinful nature inside of us. But even in the midst of that sinful nature struggle, there's a brand new appetite that means that you can't be comfortable in sin anymore. Here's a principle I want to let you know. Your new nature is not sinless perfection, but it's a brand new direction. You have a brand new direction to your life? John said it like this in 1 John 1 verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean, that, it doesn't mean that, you have everything, that you have everything figured out. But it does mean that you don't willingly, defyingly, intentionally pursue sin anymore. John says you can't love God and continue on in darkness. So if there's a sin that you're pursuing... Is there a sin that you can't let go of? If there's a sin that you don't feel that you don't feel gross about it, that you try to justify, you, it could be an indicator that you truly haven't experienced the gospel. It could be an indicator that you don't really know the love of God. Here's three lies, if you're taking notes that church people believe about salvation. All these are lies that they can believe without repenting. You can't believe without repenting. Jesus started with his ministry, repent, John the Baptist, repent, Paul, repent, I know it's not a good word, but the whole gospel is filled with the word repent, the Greek word for repent is metanoia. it means a change of mind, a change of purpose and action, see, a repentance does not change you in life, will not save you in death, repentance is three things, it's confession, I'm sorry Lord, you're right, I'm wrong, it's contrition, it's feeling bad, and it's change, theologian rosaria butterfield said this repentance is a bittersweet business repentance is not just a conversion exercise it's a posture of a christian are you living a life of constant repentance before the lord number two here's a lie you can be casual about sin john said you can't it's the person who has something in their life and i know it's wrong but everybody deals with something nobody's perfect it's kind of a culture that we live in today let me tell you the culture that was going on there there were these lies called docetism and gnosticism and they felt like hey whatever you do in the body is all right you can sin the way you want because jesus was spirit and the spirit's what matters and let me tell you and what john is saying let me correct that theology real quick no if you really walk with jesus there's got to be some change If you're casual about sin it's a chance that you maybe aren't really saved it's the so-called christian who always downloads porn and goes to strip clubs it's the college gr- kid who's always having an extramarital affair or, or maybe always sleeping around, gets drunk on the weekends, but still wants God on the side. See, our culture wants Jesus like a salad bar. They'll pick and choose different parts of Jesus and they'll put it on the plate. But let me just tell you, you just can't take parts of Jesus. You've got to embrace all of Jesus. And when you're saved, you can't say, how can I continue to do that, be involved in that? Jesus, that action puts you on the cross. It's the love of God. I love you so much, God. I'm sorry I repent. I cannot willingly give my life to those things because it crucified you. That means you're a true believer. John said it like this in in chapter chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says I know him. But does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So praying a prayer with no life change does not mean you're saved. The third thing that will show us that we're truly saved is your prayers are answered. First John 4:15 says this, 5:14 says this. This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. One of the main reasons that you know that Jesus is working in your life as you have answered prayers everywhere. You see the evidence of God in your life. And the reason God answers your prayers is because you're not asking out of selfish desires anymore. You're asking according to His will. You're not asking for Ferraris and private jets. But you say, Lord, give us a property to reach a people. Lord, give us a freedom center. Lord, give us houses, Lord God, where we can age kids out of foster care. Lord, give us money so we can send to missions because it's not about our glory. It's about His glory. And when your prayers are constantly being answered, it's a sign that God is working in your life. If you're a believer, you should see answered prayer everywhere you go. That's what John is saying. And then the fourth thing, that we, the fourth evidence of a person that's truly saved is this. God speaks to you, especially through the Bible. 1 John 2.20 says this. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, have, you all have knowledge, he's saying. And then in verse 27, he expands on this, and he says this. And the anointing you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Some people take this out of context and say, that hey, you don't need a pastor and you need a teacher. No, that's not exactly what he's saying or else John wouldn't teach these things. What he's saying is this, that there's going to be something inside of you that bears truth to what they're saying. And one of the reasons that you know that you're Christians is the Holy Spirit gives you this innate sense that God speaks to you through the Bible. That you read these stories and you're like, this is truth. Like, or you hear a sermon and you're like, man, that's right. Or you hear another sermon like, man, that's not right. Have you ever been there? You're like, man, that doesn't sound right, or that does sound right. This is what the theologian John Calvin called the sense of the divine. It's a work of grace in your life. And what John here is he's repeating what he heard Jesus say. He says, my sheep know my voice. He's saying that when somebody's preaching the word and the truth, have you ever heard something inside of says, that's true, that's true, that's true. It's exploding. It's, God is abiding in your life. But if sometimes you're hearing somebody preach, you hear somebody teaching like that. That just doesn't sound right to me. That's the Spirit of the Lord. That's what John is talking about right here. And then when you, especially when you start g- going after the, reading the Bible, God is always speaking to you through the Bible. And the Bible, the, Bi- the Bible tells us this, because when we sinned, we fell. That the carnal mind cannot understand God, and because we fell, we couldn't hear God. But one of the things that God does, He opens up our ears to hear Him again. So if God is speaking to you, that's a sign that you're a believer. So are you sure of your salvation? Here's a couple questions you've got to ask. Are you trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation? Do you have a new desire for God and his ways? Are you seeing prayers answered? And is God speaking to you? Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.